John chapter 5, who does Jesus love? We're going to see that Jesus loves broken people. So let's uh, pray and then we'll dive into this. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, as we were singing that you are the way maker, that you're the one who is always working, even when we can't see it. But Lord, today we see a picture, a beautiful picture, of how you work and seek to work in the lives of those who are broken. And I pray, God, that you'd minister your word to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's a regular occurrence that you see in a lot of neighborhoods on a Saturday morning. It's the garage sale. So you drive around and you see somebody's got all this stuff out on their driveway there. And a lot of times what is, you know, being put out is something old, something broken. It's something that is being discarded. And that's really our world's view of the broken or something that has lost its value is that it's something to be discarded. But you know, the Bible tells us that God puts a premium on broken things. Who does Jesus love? The broken. And we see a good example of that in our text here this morning. Beginning in verse 1, follow along as I read. It says, "After After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, Blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well and took up his bed. And he walked. Pause there and let me have your attention. A few years ago, a Nashville newspaper wanted to do a story on broken-hearted people. So they reached out to some local pastors there in the Nashville area and asked them if they could give them the names of some people they knew who had a broken heart. And the newspaper you know, was going to reach out to these people and see if they would want to be interviewed for these stories. Well, one insightful pastor sent the newspaper the entire phone directory of Nashville. <laughs> In other words, who doesn't have a broken heart to some degree, right? If you are a member of the human race, you know what it's like to be broken in some way. 
Maybe you're here today and you have a broken heart. Or maybe you're here today and you have been broken by an illness that you suffer in. Or maybe you're here today and you have been broken relationally. So it's hard for you to trust people. It's left you a little bit jaded and you live with your guard up in, 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 in relationship to others. It's true. The world is full of broken people. But here's the good news. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus said, I have come to heal the broken hearted. You know, that word broken hearted is an interesting word because it literally speaks of rubbing against something. It was used of kindling a fire, taking two broken sticks and rubbing them together so hard that it would ignite a flame. And so the word came to be used to describe someone who was crushed or broken into pieces. And really, that's what life can do to us. Life can rub against us in such a way that it leaves us broken. Or life can have the tendency to, to rub so hard that it leaves us in a place of feeling brokenhearted. It was Malcolm Muggeridge who said this, the biggest disease today is the feeling of being unwanted, uncared for, and deserted by everybody. In Proverbs chapter 18, the writer of Proverbs asked this question, the spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? Well, how do you love a broken person? How did Jesus love a broken person? Well, we see an example of that in our text today. Let me, let me set up the scene for you. This takes place around the pool of Bethesda, which was near the sheep gate there in Jerusalem. The pool of Bethesda was a large rectangular pool that had these five porches that were around it. And it was there near the sheep gate that the shepherds, when they were bringing the sheep into Jerusalem to be sacrificed, they would bring them to that pool in order to be cleansed, in order to be uh, made clean for sacrifice. The, the word Bethesda means house of mercy, but it literally had become, this area had become a house of misery because a great multitude of hurting people would gather there. In fact, one commentator suggests that on any given day, there might be 300 people who were lame or blind or hurting and broken in some way, laying all over those those porch areas surrounding that pool. But verse 1 tells us that this was during feast time, and that was one of the required feasts that the children of Israel had to come to Jerusalem. And so most commentators believe that there could have been upwards of 3,000 people lying around on the porches on this given day. I want you to picture that. A mass. Our text calls it a multitude of hurting, broken people lying there. Why were they there? Why that particular place? Well, verse 4 tells us that there was a belief that an angel would come and stir up the water in the pool, and whoever was able to get into the pool first 
would be made well. They would be healed of their disease. And so there is this mass of people sitting around waiting for the water to get stirred, hoping to be the first one there. Many of them probably got there really, really early in the morning so that they could get a choice spot and hoping to get right close to the water. So here's this mass of broken, hurting people, and Jesus is going to zero in on one guy. Let's consider this man. We're told in verse 5 that he had an infirmity. Now, we don't know exactly what his infirmity was, but the word infirmity speaks of a debilitating illness. Now, whatever it was, whether he was paralyzed or just too weak, he was unable to move freely. And because whenever something happened there at the pool, he never could get in in time. Somebody would always beat him to the punch. So he was suffering physically. And it's interesting about those who suffer from physical ailments, especially if it's a chronic disease, is it has a way of isolating a person and making them feel utterly alone. They begin to realize that they're just not able to do the things that they used to be able to do. And they understand that their physical capabilities have just been parred way down. And sometimes they find that their friends begin to, you know, just not invite them to as many things because it's just a little bit awkward or they just can't do what their friends are doing. And so that makes them feel even more isolated. And so I think it's safe to say that this man in this condition wasn't just suffering physically, but he was also suffering mentally and emotionally. We're told that he has his infirmity It had been lingering a long time, 38 years, close to four decades. So he had had to have somebody that would bring him there to the pool or try to set him there in place. Did he come every day? Did he come several times a week? He'd been there enough to be disappointed often. We're not sure, sure if this man was married. We're not sure if he had any kids. I ask that because when someone is broken by physical infirmity, it can put an enormous amount of pressure on the marriage relationship. In fact, statistics tell us that 75% of marriages where there is a chronic illness end in divorce because it's so hard for the person who's the caretaker So I think it's safe to say that this man, he had been broken in every single way possible. So here's the question. How does Jesus love and minister to this man? Well, if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to note is that Jesus saw him. He saw him. Look at verse 5. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, note that. Out of this huge crowd of broken people, Jesus sees this one guy. He saw them all, but he zeroes in on this one solitary human being. And here's our first big idea for today is that loving the broken begins with seeing the broken. If we are going to love them like Jesus did, we can't ignore them. We have to see them. It's been said Do for one what you wish you could do for all. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. And I want you to imagine 
What would happen if all of us here did for one person what we wish we could do for everyone? What would happen if all the Christians in the United States did for one hurting person what we wish we could do for everyone? We might just be able to meet the needs of everyone, of all. Do for one what you wish that you could do for all. But I want you to notice that Jesus didn't just see this guy, but that he had compassion upon him. You know, when Jesus looked at situations, he saw them so differently from everyone around him. He saw people and situations so differently. For instance, when the multitudes would come to Jesus, oftentimes the disciples were really excited. They'd get excited. They'd come to Jesus and say, Lord, everyone is looking for you. At other times, though, the disciples got annoyed because they wanted their own time with Jesus. And so there were times when they came to Jesus and said, Lord, can you just send them all away, you know? Can you just give us a break and send, send the multitudes away? But we're told that when Jesus looked at the multitudes, that he saw them with compassion. He saw them as being like sheep without a shepherd. He saw them as wandering with no purpose and no direction, being disconnected from God. And so here's our second big idea. Loving the broken is about how we see them. It's not just enough that we see them, but it's how we see them. That we don't see them as a nuisance. We don't see them as a problem or an obstacle, but with compassion that they are someone who has been made in the image of God, but who has been broken by life. They have been made in the image of God, but because of something that has gone on in their life, that image has been distorted, but they're still a person that God loves and that God is for and that God cares for and his heart breaks for. He's moved with compassion when he sees them. And that word compassion speaks of a pain and stirring in your innermost being. So I ask you this question. How do you see broken people? Do you see them as a challenge? I'll be honest with you. I do sometimes. Sometimes I just see him as, Lord, I have no idea what to do with that person. I have no idea how to help in that situation. And it just seems like a challenge, something that I have no idea what to do. Do you see him as a challenge? Do you see him as an inconvenience? Do you see him as a nuisance? How you see the broken is an important question for us to ask ourselves if we are going to be used by God to help and love the broken. I think we need to pray as God's church, Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Because if we're honest, the problem with many of us is that we're nearsighted. We only can see what's right in front of us. We only see our own problems. We only see our own difficulties. That's, that's all that, that we can focus in on. So how does Jesus love and minister to this broken man? Number one, he saw him. Number two, Jesus had compassion on the man. Number three, Jesus asked the man an interesting question there in verse six. He asked him the question, do you want to be made well? Now, on the surface, that just seems like a ridiculous question, right? 
I think we want to we want to say to Jesus, duh. Like, come on, Lord, of course this guy wants to be made well. That's why he's here. He's been suffering for 38 years. In fact, to ask the question, do do you want to be made well? It almost sounds cruel at first glance. I want to say in my 37 years of doing hospital visits, I have never once asked that question when I've walked into a hospital room. I've never had the guts to ask that question. There was a time, though, when I went to see this one guy in our church. He was in really, really bad shape. And I brought my son, Aaron. He was about 11 or 12 years old at the time, and I wanted to bring him with me. I would do that sometimes so he could just kind of experience what that was like. And we come walking into this, this hospital room, and this guy, he's in bad shape. He's got tubes coming out of everywhere in his body. And my son, he's such an encourager, and I think he just wanted to, you know, encourage this guy. (laughs) And so my son says to this guy, as I introduce him, he says, you know, you're a really handsome man. (laughs) The guy literally started chuckling, you know. (laughs) After he got better, he would tease Aaron when he would see him about that. You're a really handsome man. But Jesus asked that question, and you know what? It was an appropriate question for him to ask. And here's why. Catch this. Look at verse 6 again. It said, Jesus knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time. You see, Jesus knew. Having been in that condition for a long time, this man had learned how to be dependent upon others for his provision and his care. It's quite possible that he was a beggar, that he got his substance from handouts, being reliant upon others. And so this is an appropriate question for Jesus to ask because Jesus knew that a change in his condition and circumstances would mean a change in his responsibilities. In fact, one Bible commentator had this insight. He said, in those days in the Middle East, a man who would have been healed could lose a substantial living from begging. And he said, if this man was healed, he would have to join a very hard workforce in order to survive, where he would work for pennies a day doing hard labor. And so he's a broken man. But if he's healed, he would have to take on new responsibilities. And so Jesus asks him, hey, do do you really? Do you really want to be made well? And I think it's a good question for us to consider today. If you're here today and you are broken, and I mean this with all due respect, but I ask this question, do you really want to be made well knowing that it might mean a change in your life? Knowing that it'll mean that you'll never be able to play the victim card anymore to use that. Knowing that, that it might mean that, that you can no longer make excuses for your bad behavior because of your brokenness. 
You might no longer be able to have others who show you grace because of what you have been through. And sometimes that grace can become a license for living a life of excuses and never ever moving forward. So it's a good question to ask. Are you ready to be done with that? So it wasn't a weird question that Jesus was asking. I want you to notice that he says, he doesn't ask him if he wants to be healed. He asks if he wants to be made well. And I, and I point it out because Jesus was always interested in the whole man. Not just his physical problem, but also his spiritual problem, which I think the, the text of the story as it unfolds makes that really, really clear. Look at verse 7. The sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've had someone say something to me that was similar to that. I have no man. I haven't found the right person. I haven't found the right program. I haven't found the right mentor. I haven't found the right church. I want help for my marriage or my addiction or my bitterness or my phobias. And I've tried to change, but I just haven't been able to find the right thing. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you found yourself, you walked in here just kind of hopeless in your brokenness in your situation. Maybe you've tried to stop drinking. You know that alcohol is ruining your life and your family, and you thought you had it under control, but it's taken advantage of you, and it's brought destruction. Perhaps you don't see any hope for your marriage, and you've tried to correct things, and nothing seems to work, and it's left you hopeless. Know this. There are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. Some men only see a hopeless end, but a Christian rejoices in an endless hope. Can I get an amen to that? And you know why? Because in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, we're told that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus has risen and he is alive and he is for us. And he says, my power and my life and my grace is available to you so that you can now walk in resurrection life. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so we are people who rejoice in an endless hope. Well, this brings us to a critical moment of this story. What did Jesus say to this man who had lost all hope, a man who had given up on himself? Did he say, oh, come on, I'll get you help. I'll help you get into the pool next time. I'll stay here right with you. I'll help you do that when the water is stirred. Nope, Jesus didn't say that. He didn't offer that kind of help. He, he could have, but he didn't. Did he say... Hang in there, brother. Did he give him a pep talk? Did he say, man, I know that you can do this. You just need to resurrect the giant within you. No. Jesus didn't say anything like that. Did he say, you know what? Let's just make you more comfortable. 
We'll get you a new mat. We'll put some flowers around it. We'll bring you some food. Jesus doesn't say any of those things. And oftentimes, those are the type of things that people want Jesus to say. And they want him to do. Jesus doesn't do any of that. What does Jesus do? He gives this man an incredible command. Look at verse 8. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And it says, and immediately the man was made well and took up his bed and walked. I think that is a word from the Lord for some of you here today. That in your broken situation, Jesus is saying to you today, rise, rise, take up your bed and walk because I have risen. You can rise, you can live, you can have hope. You can walk in victory and you can walk in strength. Now, why did Jesus tell him to take up his bed? Why why not leave it there for somebody else that was hurting or broken that would come along? I think G. Campbell Morgan in his book, The Great Physician, gives this insight that is interesting. He said, Jesus told him that in order to make no provision for a relapse. It's an interesting insight. You see, the man might have said to himself, I'm healed, but what if I wake up tomorrow feeling like this again? I'm just going to leave my mat right here. I've got a good spot. I don't know if that's the exact reason why Jesus told him to pick up his mat. But the principle is true. Paul would say this in Romans chapter 13, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You clothe yourself in Jesus and the life that he has provided for you. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You see, when God does a work of deliverance in your life, Don't hang on to the old vices. That's what it means. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't leave a door open for you to return. Make no provision for the flesh. Delete the phone number. Get away. Put away. Remove the contact. Flush the stash of drugs. Pour the bottle of alcohol down the sink get rid of the video the dvd whatever it might be get rid of anything and everything that might tempt your flesh in that area because this is what we all need to understand you know when you are the most vulnerable to fall spiritually it's when you're tired you're stressed out you're depressed or you're discouraged. When you find yourself in any of those places, your flesh will crave those old vices. And if they're around, if they're easy, accessible, it's a great way for you to fall. So Paul says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its desires. And what Jesus says to this man next, I think, supports this idea even further. Again, the second part of verse 9, it says, And that day was the Sabbath. And the Jews therefore said to him who was cursed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. 
So they see this guy walking down, you know, with his mat rolled up on his shoulder, and they're like, hey, you're breaking the Sabbath, because, you, you see, God had made the seventh day to be the Sabbath, was to be a day of rest. But the religious leaders in Israel had taken that and just had turned it into a great burden because they made anything that you did that was any kind of activity was considered a work. And so this guy walking, carrying his, you know, uh, mat was considered breaking the Sabbath. And so they're, they're coming against him. You're saying, hey, it's not lawful for you to do that. Why are you doing that? And verse 11, it says, and he answered, well, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. And then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? I want you to notice this. They completely ignore that the guy said, I was made well. That's what religious legalists do. They completely ignore how God is working and they're only concerned about their rules and regulations. They probably knew this guy had been like this for 38 years and all they're thinking about is, hey, you're breaking the Sabbath. You know, why are you carrying your bed? And then, so they ask, who told you to break the Sabbath? And it says, but the one, verse 13, who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. And afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. I love this. Jesus found him in the temple. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? Jesus found him. You see, the Jewish law required a person who had been healed to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. So this guy gets healed, and what does he do? He goes right to the temple. I'm going to go offer a sacrifice because God healed me. And Jesus finds him there. And I think there's some of you here today, you've come into this place brokenhearted or broken in some way, and Jesus wants to find you today here in this place because he loves you. He cares for you. In this temple, if you would, this sanctuary, Jesus is here for you to find you and meet you here in this moment. And this leads to the fourth thing that we want to know about how Jesus loved and ministered to this man is Jesus revealed what he's most concerned about in broken people. He says to this man, see, you have been made well, sin no more. Now that gives us some insight into the probability that the man's condition was due to some sin in his life. Some Bible commentators believe that it was a venereal disease that had infected his life in this way and brought about this weakness or this paralysis. Others believe it was some other type of behavior that left him in this way. And Jesus comes and, and addresses him. See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, here's the question. What could possibly be worse than 38 years of being broken? You know the answer to that. There's something far worse that could happen. Eternal suffering because of unrepentant sin could mean that this guy would be eternally lost. 
And although this disease had taken the best years of his life away, unrepentant sin had the possibility of taking away his eternity. And so Jesus comes and finds him and says, hey, you've been made whole. Sin no more. And I don't think he was pointing his finger at him and like, you know, come on. But he was like, bro, come on, you've been set free. Live in that. Walk in that. Sin no more. Now just think about this. No one had probably ever talked to this guy in that way. No one had probably ever talked to him about his sin. In fact, maybe when somebody did, someone would say, hey, you don't do that. He's sick. He's an invalid. Don't talk to him about his sin. But Jesus did. Why? Because he loved him. And because he loved him and he knew there was something that was far worse than 38 years of being broken and that was to be eternally separated from a God who loved him. And so this teaches us that loving broken people means preaching an unbroken gospel to them. Because it's the unbroken gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that makes broken people whole. It is wonderful and necessary for us to be concerned about a person's physical brokenness. But what's even more important is that we are concerned about their spiritual brokenness. That we're concerned about their souls. That we're concerned about their eternal destiny. Now I will say this. Sometimes in order to speak to their spiritual need, we have to first meet their physical need. You have to meet their felt need in order to address their real need but first and foremost the thing that is always the most important is the spiritual need and you see jesus provided the way for all of us our spiritual need to be resolved you see the bible says that all of us had been separated from god disconnected from god because of our sin and our rebellion. And when we, when we were in that place, Jesus left heaven and came to this earth and became a man for the sole purpose of going to the cross. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins will surely die. And Jesus left heaven and came to this earth so that he could go to the cross where he would pay the price for our sins. That he would take the punishment upon himself that we deserved so that we could have our sins forgiven and our guilt removed, so that we could be, have the opportunity to enter into a relationship with God. And Jesus didn't just die upon the cross to pay the price for our sins, but three days later, he rose again from the dead that he might give his life and his power to anyone and everyone who would embrace him. And as we close today, I ask you this question. If you're broken... I want you to know this. Jesus can make you well. And he sees you. And he knows your hurts. He knows the brokenness that has infected your life. He sees you and his heart is one of compassion towards you. And he would say to you today, rise walk walk in my healing walk in my forgiveness walk in my power 
But he also would say to take up your mat. To leave no provision for the flesh. You see, that's what repentance is. Repentance is this. It's, I was walking this way towards sin and away from God, and now I'm doing a 180, and I'm walking away from my sin, and I'm walking toward Jesus. Make no provision for the flesh. Leave no vices that you can turn back to. Jesus is most concerned, friends, about our souls. The world discards broken things, but God is drawn to the broken, especially the brokenhearted. In fact, in Psalm 51, verse 17, we're told, the sacrifice that you desire, speaking of God, is a broken spirit. And you will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. I love that. Another version puts it this way, a broken and contrite heart, heart or spirit God will not turn away from he turns towards the world discards the broken Jesus runs to the broken and he's made a way for broken people to become whole and if you're in that place today if you're here today you've never ever given your life to Christ he wants to make you whole today he wants to touch you And begin, sometimes it's a process, that process of helping you walk in victory over your brokenness. But if you're here today and maybe you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, but you've allowed brokenness to touch your life. Listen, all of us here, I say this all the time, we're all broken. None of us have arrived. None of us have, have risen to some height. We're all broken people who are in the process of being transformed by our loving Redeemer. That's who all of us are. But we have to be willing to let Jesus do that work in our hearts and in our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, for this picture, this story. You reaching out to this broken man. And Lord, it reminds us of your heart toward the the broken represented here in this room and those who are online watching right now. And God, I pray right now in this moment, in this time that we would spend together, That we would give you, Lord, our brokenness. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to answer the question that you would ask today. Do you want to be made well? Knowing that a change results in new responsibility. And so, Lord, we want to bring to you today our brokenness our hearts, our lives, our hurts. The band right now is going to lead us in a song. And after this, we're going to partake of communion together. I'll lead you in that. But I just feel the Lord would have us right now before we do that. Let's bring our brokenness before the Lord. That thing that maybe has left you hopeless today. The Lord would say, rise up. Be hopeless no more. And let's bring our broken hearts, 
these broken areas of our lives. And let's just right now in this moment, with hands stretched out in front of us, like we were just offering something to God. Let's bring our hearts, let's bring our lives, those broken areas to give to Him. That He might begin that process today in making us whole, making us well. And if you're here today and you have never embraced Jesus as your Savior, your friend, and your Lord, I encourage you today, just offer Him your heart. Say, Jesus, here's my heart. It's yours. Let him know that you're embracing what he did on the cross for you today. His love for you, his forgiveness.